Here we are continuing our Luke series. We are in part 34 or something like that. And we're in, in Luke chapter 20. That would be a better way to say it. We're in Luke chapter 20. Hey, how about that? Uh, and as you're flipping over there, um, I want to start by telling you a bit of a story. Many of you have heard me talk about how uh, I grew up in Malaysia. And when I was 10 years old, my parents, our whole family really, moved from Malaysia to Portland, Oregon. And we went there because my parents felt the Lord leading them to go to Bible school. And so we moved. Now, the house that we had at the time uh, in Malaysia, we owned it. And uh, if someone could grab me a music stand, that would be great. Um, thank you. The, the house that we had in Malaysia, was, we, had owned, we owned the house. My parents weren't paying uh, a mortgage on it or whatever. They had things lined up. And so uh, when they made the decision for us to move to Portland, it, it wasn't um, really probably the wise call for them to sell it. And so we decided to rent it. And uh, the only trick was we were going to be gone three, maybe four years. Uh, we ended up being gone three. But we had this, we, we, my parents knew these um, uh, ladies from the church, four different ladies, and they thought it was a good plan to rent the house out to these four women. Now, there's this ongoing debate about who, who's neater, you know, men or women. I just want to say that in our experience, these women were not very neat, and uh, despite our knowing them and being at church with them and all this stuff, uh, and despite our frequent phone calls, now this is pre-internet era, this was in the late 80s, so there's no way to Skype and kind of say, hey, show us the house, you know. Um, so we're talking to them on the phone and they would say things like, oh yeah, everything's fine, oh, everything's great. And then we came back and realized that we had to get rid of furniture and the walls, were, it was just a, a mess. Now... Some of you probably can relate to this, where you've uh, rented out a house or uh, you know, a property that you've owned and had someone not take very good care of it, or maybe you're the kind of people, like me sometimes, when you're in a rental car and you go through the drive through and you're eating, I don't know, Wendy's or something, and you're like, you know, I wouldn't normally open the dipping sauces for the chicken nuggets, but hey, it's a rental and so you go ahead and open that honey mustard and dab it in there, and there's stuff spilling, and the fries are falling, you know. And you're thinking, hey, it's fine. It's a rental. Now, we've, we've you know, maybe not all of you are, you know, do that, but we've been in situations where we, we know what that's like to kind of take care of property a little bit differently because it's not ours, because it's a rental. Now, what if by a sudden twist of events, the car that you were driving that you thought was just a rental turned out to be part of your inheritance? And what if the car that you've been abusing by gunning it any chance you could get and you know, throwing stuff around? And all, you know, what if all of a sudden they turned around, the insurance company turned around and said, hey, I, this is kind of weird, but this car you've been driving, this brand new white uh, Ford Escape or whatever, it's actually yours. It's deeded to you. Uh-oh. Well, gee, I wish I would have taken better care of it. Okay, this is... Uh, something similar is going on here in this story that Jesus is telling about the vineyard. So turn over to Luke 2, uh, sorry, Luke 20, and we'll start in verse 9. Luke 20, verse 9 says this, And Jesus told the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, rented it to tenant farmers, and went on a trip for a long time. And when it was time, he sent a servant to collect from the tenants his share of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenant sent him away, beaten and empty-handed. And the man sent another servant, but they beat him, treated him disgracefully, and sent him away, empty-handed as well. And he sent a third servant. 
They wounded the servant and threw him out. And the owner of the vineyard said, What should I do? I'll send my son whom I love dearly. Perhaps they will respect him. But when they saw him, they said to each other, This is the heir. Let's kill him so the inheritance will be ours. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to them? This is a bit graphic in some of your Bible's translations. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now when the people heard this, they said, May this never happen. Staring at them, Jesus said, Then what is the meaning of this text of Scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and everyone who falls on the stone will be crushed. And the stone will crush the person it falls on. And the legal experts and chief priests wanted to arrest him right then because they knew he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. What is Jesus doing here? The the passage that we had in our Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah 5, and it's the song of the vineyard. I won't read it again for the sake of time, but we just heard it being read to us in the message translation. What was it about this story that when the listeners heard it, they said, Whoa, Jesus, may it never be. What was so strong about this parable that Jesus was telling? What was so stinging about it that, these people, that made these people say, Whoa, whoa, may it never be. What was Jesus saying? Jesus is retelling in a brief way in this story the story of Israel. He's retelling for them their very story. If you think about the way um, the Bible tells its story of God, it's very interesting because, of course, even the Genesis account is being told after the fact, right? It's being told after creation, after Abraham, all this stuff. And, and, and if it is Moses or if it's the tradition of Moses that was passed down and written down later, however we say that, It's much later that they start writing down the Genesis story. So how they tell their own story really matters. And this is the way the Bible tells it. Is God makes the heavens and the earth and makes these two humans and puts them in a garden. He puts them in a garden. Again, we've got this garden vineyard imagery. And he says to them, look, you are to be my image bearers. You are to reflect into this world what I'm like. You're supposed to show into this world what I look like, what, how, how I would rule. You rule, he says in Genesis 1. He says, let them rule. But instead, the man and the woman say, you know what? We don't want to reflect your rule. We'd rather rule ourselves. We'd rather be you. And so they eat this tree and the stuff, and the story unfolds. But here's the most remarkable thing about that, the Genesis story. Guess what God does when Adam and Eve rebel? He comes looking. He comes looking. It's interesting to me that so many times we speak about God like we're the ones searching. I'm just looking for God. I'm a seeker. I'm searching. I'm exploring what's true. Very often when someone tells that, says that to me and says, you know, I'm just kind of evaluating what's true and what other religions are out there, I, 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 if the moment is right, I'll say to them, you know, let me help you start on the right foot. Christianity is not to be put in a compartment of all these other religions where you can kind of scientifically look at the exhibits and say, yeah, I like that. That's pretty good. That one, I don't 
no, I like that. You know, that, that's, you're all, you, you started on the wrong foot. Because the story that God tells doesn't begin with man's search for God. It begins with God's search for humanity. That's the beauty of this. We were lost. We couldn't have found him. And so then this God, very quickly Genesis tells us, this God chooses a man and he says, look, through your family, I'm going to choose your family, Abraham, and through your family, I'm going to launch a plan to bless all peoples. Little Bible quiz in Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham, who does he say he wants to bless? Every nation. Every nation. But the story of Israel, they knew it well. If you fast forward all through the ups and downs and the good days and the bad days and the good kings and the bad kings, it's like a soap opera or a TV series that lasted for decades, okay? There's this drama, high drama. What's the plot line? It's basically this. God wants these people to be faithful to Him so that He can use them to bless all peoples. C.S. Lewis said, the chosen were chosen for the sake of the unchosen. The chosen were chosen for the sake of the unchosen. Jesus phrases it in vineyard language, in gardening language. He says, look, I came to you and I asked for some fruit. Were you being faithful, Israel? Were you being faithful? Are there any Gentiles that are coming in? Are you being faithful? And repeatedly they said, no. Who do you think Jesus is talking about when he says, and I sent people to them to go and ask for it, and they beat him? Who's Jesus referring to? The prophets. Here's the second thing that we, we see about God. Not only is God the one who comes looking for humanity, but the Bible's narrative shows us a God who's persistent. He's not a God who says, well, I asked, and you said no, so I guess you didn't want it. This is a God who's so eager to bless and redeem and save and restore that he says, hey, 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 come on, how's the vineyard doing? How's this thing that I trusted to you? Uh, Get away, beat the prophets. And Jesus, of course, is, is, is in a very, we can see now in hindsight, a very dramatic way pointing towards his own death. He's kind of saying, okay, look, and then the son of the guy who owns the vineyard, the heir himself, comes. And they said, let's not just beat him, let's kill him. Luke places the story here as a way of quickening the pace a little bit in his own gospel to say, dun dun, foreshadow, foreshadow, what's coming? Jesus' own death. And he wants us to see Jesus' death that we're about to see in the next few chapters. He wants us to see it through this lens. This lens of a God who came searching. This lens of a God who never stopped calling. This lens of a God who says, I gave you a vineyard so there would be fruit. Got any? This lens of a God who's in charge. In a very real way, we could say our first observation from this text is that Jesus is the Lord of the vineyard. Jesus is the Lord of the vineyard. He's trying to say, look guys, you don't get it, but I'm in charge. This is why he, when he says to them, he says, look, you'll do this to the son. You'll kill him. But you know what? The owner will come and he'll take this vineyard from you and give it to someone else. Who's Jesus talking about? 
Gentiles, a.k.a. most of us. And he's saying, look, if you would not fulfill what you were supposed to fulfill with this land, then I will do it. This is why, just by the way, it's important to to remember that Jesus was a Jew. Because most of us kind of go through the story and we can tell the gospel story without ever mentioning that Jesus was a Jew. And probably up until now, maybe even now, you're still wondering, why does that matter? Because who was first given the vineyard? The family of Abraham. And Jesus comes from that family of Abraham and says, okay, you're being pretty lousy stewards of this thing, but actually I'm the Lord of it, so I'm going to come and do for you what you could not. I'll be faithful in a way that you could not be faithful. And because I'll be faithful even unto death, this vineyard will now be opened up to another, given to another. There's so much more we could say about that, but we'll stop with, with, there, with that point. The second thing that we see in, in this text is Jesus, when they say to him, no, may it never be. How can you take this vineyard from us? May it never be. He says, okay, then what then is the meaning of of this verse, this saying, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, the beginning point, the, the foundation of something new, the temple itself. Jesus is saying, not only am I the Lord of the vineyard, but I am the completion or the beginning, however we want to see it. Both Some translations say capstone, some say cornerstone. In either way, Jesus is the beginning and the completion of a new temple. Now, for a lot of us, we're like, well, what, what, what does that mean? I mean, what, what's the big deal there? Basically, do you know what Jesus is saying by both of these references to a vineyard and to a temple? He's saying to his, these people of Israel, look, your story, yeah, it's about me. Yeah, your symbols and metaphors and things that you cherish, temple, vineyard, things that meant so, so much. Jesus is saying, you know what? I am it. I myself am the start of a new temple i.e., your story is actually about me. What? I thought it was about us. I thought it was about our land and this thing and that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 sure. But all those things point to me. This is why they wanted to kill him. I mean, you have to understand how, unless he was telling the truth, how blasphemous this was. This is not Jesus saying, I know what the Scriptures mean and I can teach them. He's saying, I know what the Scriptures mean and they all speak of me. I'm the start of a new temple. I'm the cornerstone here. You're rejecting me. You're going to kill me. But I'm actually the Lord of the vineyard and I'm actually the beginning and the completion of a new temple. Is that beautiful or what? The New Testament reading tonight was from a passage in 1 Peter where Peter says, he kind of gets this now. Peter, maybe in the Gospels, there's a lot of things he didn't get, but now he's starting to get it. And he says, ah, Jesus is the cornerstone, and we're all living stones. We're, we're part of this building together. Jesus was the beginning of it. We're these living stones. He's the capstone. He's the completion of it. He's the, wait, I've heard that before, the beginning and the end. The Alpha and Omega, the first and the I've heard this before. It all points to Him. It's all about Him. I think when, we've, when we start to say, all right, so, so where are we 
in this story, there's really something pretty simple about it. Because if Jesus is saying that their story is really about Him, then for us, it means that the good news is not that Jesus has come into your heart. Yes, that's true. But the really good news is that you've been brought into His story. You've been brought into His story. That's remarkable. That means every person, every time you have a conversation with someone who says, I'm I'm trying to figure out the meaning of my life and maybe the significance of my life is how much I can achieve or maybe the significance of my life is a legacy or maybe the significance of my life is what I'll create as an entrepreneur or maybe the significance of my life is this and this and this and all of those things may be just shadows of it. But the real significance of your life is that you are now part of the Jesus story. Yes, yes, it's amazing. It means the Lord of the vineyard has come to you and said, all right, ready? Let's create some things that flourish in the earth together. Come on, let's make new creations spring up. Come on, I'm the Lord of the vineyard. Let's get some fruit to pop up in the world. Every time we raise children this way or every time we, we, we do this or love our neighbor, every time we do all, any of those things, we are tending this vineyard and we're saying, God, it's yours. Jesus, you're the Lord of it. Lord, here's some fruit in my workplace tomorrow morning. God, let me work tomorrow morning like the vineyard is yours. Let me work tomorrow morning like I'm a tenant, like this is yours. God, would you bring flourishing in my home? God, let my family be a vineyard that has fruit that glorifies God. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the Lord of the vineyard. Paul, there's lots of gardening metaphors throughout the Scripture imagery. Paul picks up on this in Galatians 5 when he starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against things like this. If you have the vineyard imagery of gardening and then you have the temple imagery of stones, do you know one of the things the stone temple imagery brings to mind? Walking with Jesus is not about being a single brick. It's about being connected and what we are together. Actually, that relates to the fruit metaphor because Have you ever tried to show the fruit of the Spirit by yourself? On the count of three, everybody close your eyes and show love. (laughs) Patience. It's very easy to be patient with yourself, isn't it? I'm never wrong. I'm always on time with my schedule, (laughs) with my time. But the fruit of the Spirit reminds us that, hey, whoa, 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 this whole vineyard, temple thing, we're, li- we're being put together. Oh, I wish that weren't true. Couldn't I be just a stone that Jesus, like, chips and molds just for me to be a pretty stone? Couldn't we be sculptures? That would be, that would be cool, but, but, but no, no, no. We're stones. That means your value, to put it bluntly, is in what we are together, not just what we are alone. 
when Paul picks up on this to the Corinthians and he says, don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That the you there is, want to guess, singular or plural? Plural. We ought to say y'all. Don't you know? Y'all are the temple. All of you, together. You are where God dwells. But the stinging part of this text is the final part of it where Jesus says, look, if you fall on the rock, you'll be broken. Some translations say you'll be broken. But if the rock falls on you, you'll be crushed. Now he's quoting, all of this is quoting, all of these have references to the Old Testament. We could pull each of those out tonight, but just for the sake of time. Here's kind of the sense of what Jesus is saying. Look, there's going to be a moment when it's too late. There's going to be a moment where the, the rock will crush you. When the owner of the vineyard comes and destroys. This is awful. This is like, oh, God, I don't want to think about this. Oh, God, yeah. But you know the beauty of it is in that the time is now to throw ourselves on the rock. We can choose now to recognize that Jesus is the Lord. We can choose now to recognize that He's the Lord before the moment comes when we'll be forced to sort of admit it. The rock falls on us, crushed. But we can throw ourselves on the rock. Let the brokenness be chosen. Choose the brokenness that comes from saying yes to Jesus even now. Would you pray with me tonight? Think for a moment about what in your life you sort of are holding on to as kind of yours that you need to maybe in a fresh way say to Jesus, Jesus, this is your vineyard. This is yours. You're the Lord of it. And maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your family, and so you need to say, God, I can't bring about the kind of flourishing and fruit on my own, but you're the Lord of this. You've entrusted this to us. See, fruit is always for the sake of another, isn't it? When we tend the vineyard well and there's fruit, who benefits? Loads of people. God has entrusted us with His kingdom. God has made us part of His story. Jesus, may we never be so arrogant as to think it's about us and it's about what we can do and it's about what we can have. Help us always to remember that we're tending your vineyard. This world is yours. The people that we work with each week, they're yours. Talents, the time, the treasures, the life, the story, the gospel, it's yours. The kingdom, we say it in the Lord's Prayer yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. You're the Lord of the vineyard. God, I pray for each of us that you bring flourishing in our hearts, cause us to bear fruit. God, may we be people that gladly choose to throw ourselves on the rock. Maybe some of you are in a place in life where it just feels broken, feels crushing. We say to Jesus in the midst of it, Lord, I throw myself on you. You're the stone. You're the rock. 
You're the foundation. I throw myself on you. I embrace brokenness. I choose it. I choose surrender. Make us those people, Lord. By the power of your Spirit at work in us. And everybody said, Amen.